comes, our gospel reading this morning comes from the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there with me. And we invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in a boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea and said said to them, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey Him? This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord. You may be seated. Well, kids, uh, oh, and I apologize. Uh, Let's see. The nursery's open now, so if anybody... uh, Did anybody go? Did the kids already do that? Did I miss it and it happened? (laughs) Okay. Um, if anybody zero to four years old needs to go to nursery, you can head downstairs now, and, and that is open and available. Uh, but for the kids that are remaining up here, that are, that are hanging out with us this morning, my, my question uh, to start us out this morning, uh, for, for you this morning, is this. Uh, who here, just raise your hand if it's true of you, who here has ever had a spanking before? Not to shame parents, my kids are all going to raise their hand. Who here has ever had a spanking before? Uh, or if you haven't had a spanking, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up here, kids. Who here has ever been put in timeout? Who here has ever uh, been grounded? Who here has ever had to do chores as a consequence for some kind of, you know, misbehaving? Who here has ever um, had their screen time taken away uh, because of something that they've done wrong? Who here has, has, has had one of those types of challenges? I, I think over the course of those questions, I saw almost... Every hand of all of the kids and many of the adults, thank you, uh, be raised also. Okay, so my next question for you is this. Is there anyone that enjoyed that consequence or discipline? Okay, so we went from every hand to to no hands, all right? Uh, Now here's the final and really the most important question. Do you think it is possible, kids, that anything good came from those difficult times, from the spanking or from the grounding or from the screen time loss? Did you, did you learn anything? Did you grow anything? Were there any lessons? Hey, yeah, hands up. Does anybody want to share something they might have learned from one of those or you're just acknowledging it happened? Emory, you got one? This is just something that happened once. Well, once um, I was about one, and I was playing with
Uh, hey, that sounds like a fruitful spanking in my opinion. <laughs> Kate, you want to share one? Good job, mom and dad. Okay, last one, Grady. Uh, don't get caught next time. No, no. We'll talk after church. That one's on me. That one's on me, guys. All right, well, well so here's the point. Here's the point. This is, kids, this is kind of what we're talking about today, okay? Uh, uh, how God uses even the difficult things that we face, even the difficult times that we encounter... Uh, And he uses them to teach us and to help us grow. And so during the sermon, I want to invite you kids to listen for how some ways that that might happen. And last week, uh, we began kind of a two-week challenge with the kids. We're talking about uh, the golden triangle of spiritual transformation, the way, the kind of the ingredients by which we can grow in our faith. And I said that if you can identify all three of those things, I have a, a treat for you at the end of these two weeks. And, uh, and, and we've decided to help you out a bit today, I think. On the front of your sheet, I think we gave you two of the three. So we're giving you a head start. But if you can listen and identify what it is that we're talking about today and come share that with me at the end, uh, I may have a surprise for you. So church, uh, this morning uh, we are concluding the, the mini-series that we've been in on uh, growth in the Christian life. As we've been considering, how is it? How do we actually grow in our faith? Recognizing that we are in in this season of ordinary time in the life of the church, which is a a part of our church year that's focused on on the growth and the expansion of the church and on the the growth of her people. Um, Understanding that much of the teaching in the New Testament is about uh, maturing in our faith. But acknowledging that we don't really always know how to do that. And and realizing that by and large the church in the West has made an emphasis on on making converts to Jesus. But has not necessarily emphasized on making disciples of Jesus. Acknowledging those things, we, we wanted to address those issues. And so last week we introduced this concept of, of Dallas Willard's uh, Golden Triangle of Spiritual Transformation. Uh, where we argue that there are basically three ingredients uh, that we need in our lives in order to be able to grow in our lives of faith and to grow as disciples of Jesus. Last week we considered uh, two of those three ingredients when we talked about uh, the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we talked about uh, the, the practice of spiritual disciplines. Uh, we acknowledge that we can't do anything in our life of faith without a dependence upon and, and, a, and a, the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that we cannot expect to grow in our faith if we don't uh, follow Jesus and do the things for our heart and soul that Jesus did for his heart and soul. And, and, and so the disciplines of silence and solitude and, and prayer and, and the study of scripture and worship and sacrificial service on behalf of others, uh, that these things are essential to our growth as disciples of Jesus. Well, today uh, we are considering the, the third and the, the kind of the final uh, ingredient in the mix, the last point 
on this uh, golden triangle of spiritual transformation, which I believe is, is both the most difficult to accept and the most difficult to experience of everything that we've discussed thus far. Yet, experientially, I believe that it may be the most impactful of all three aspects of the Golden Triangle in regards to the transformation of our lives. So the final piece of this discipleship puzzle is the acceptance with joy of the trials of life. Accepting with joy the trials that we encounter in life. That's what we're considering today. And the way that we're going to engage this topic is by first looking at the instruction to accept with joy the trials of life. And then we're going to look at the argument for accepting with joy the trials of life. And then finally, we're going to consider an illustration given to us in the scriptures of accepting with joy the trials of life. And and we're going to be looking at both of the passages of scripture that we had read this morning. So if you have Bibles, I want to invite you to turn, uh, put one finger in Mark chapter 4 and one in James chapter 1. And we're going to We're going to flip uh, between those two. Uh, We're going to be getting in James chapter 1 in verse 2. Now, now throughout the the scriptures, throughout the Bible, there are many difficult instructions that we are given uh, to follow with which we must wrestle. Okay, Uh, the command to to turn the other cheek and, and not to retaliate when an evil is perpetrated against us. That's an incredibly difficult command. Uh, to follow uh, the instruction for wives to submit to their husbands as to the Lord, uh, particularly in this modern day and age, it's an incredibly challenging instruction for for women to wrestle with in the scriptures. Uh, the directive to, to to be subject to governing authorities and to pray for our leaders feels increasingly difficult, uh, depending on your political leanings and, and who is in office. It's increasingly difficult to do that with with, with a, a real charitable heart. And yet I think um, all of those difficult instructions really pale in comparison to the challenge that James and Paul and Jesus, as we'll see, uh, give us in the instruction to accept the trials that we face in life with joy. And yet that is what they call us to do. And so uh, in in James chapter 1, verse 2, we read, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, this isn't the only place in the scriptures where we're given this instruction. In Romans 5, Paul says that we are to rejoice in our sufferings. And while Jesus never states this command that explicitly, When you piece his teaching together, it is clear that he tells us that we should expect trials and hardship in life, that we should not be anxious or worried when they come, and that we should live our lives in such a way that there is an abiding joy which cannot be taken from us. And so what we see is that over and over and over again, throughout the New Testament, we are challenged to face the many and the varied trials and challenges that come our way with joy. This is the instruction that we are given. This is what Jesus and the apostles tell us we should do. But the question we have to ask, hearing an instruction like that, is why? But why in the world would anyone do that? 
Why should we have joy in the midst of our trials? Before we move to that argument, I want to take a moment for an important clarification. Because while these instructions do exhort us to have joy in the midst of our trials, they do not instruct us to enjoy our trials, right? And and just pastorally, I want you to hear me say there's an incredible difference. There's a distinct difference uh, between being able to have joy in the midst of a moment and enjoying a moment, right? Those are two really different things. Enjoying your trials would be sadistic. (laughs) That's the stuff of deranged people, right? Uh, No one likes or enjoys or, or desires painful and difficult trials. No child likes getting a wedgie from a bully at school. No teenager likes being rejected by, by their friends, by their peers. No grown-up likes dealing with physical or emotional illness that wreaks havoc on, on their lives or on their family. Thank you, sir, may I have another, is something that soldiers are forced to say in basic training when something bad happens. It's not something that they want to say. No one enjoys the trials that they face in life, whatever they might be. That is not what James is instructing here. But to be able to continue to have joy, even in the midst of your trials, as trying as they may be, that is totally different. It is a mark of a mature Christian. And this is what James and the others are instructing us towards. And it's an ability that we should all seek to attain. And in the verses that follow, they tell us why. In verse 3 and 4, James says that the reason that we should count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds is because the testing of our faith that comes from the trials of life produces steadfastness or, or perseverance. And he says that once perseverance has had its full effect, once we've made it through the trial that we are facing and have persevered through the end, through to the end of those trials, then we may be perfect and complete, not lacking anything. Paul in Romans 5 fleshes this out a bit more for us. He says that our suffering produces endurance or or perseverance, the same idea. And that our perseverance produces character. And that character produces hope. And so what both of them are are explaining is that there is a growth that occurs within us. In our character, in the depths of our inner being, there is a growth that occurs within us as we persevere and endure and remain steadfast through the trials of life. Paul says that in the end, we are left with hope. James says that in the end, that we are perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, that idea of being perfect, it doesn't mean that we'll never make mistakes again. But but rather, it means that there is is a completeness in our wholehearted devotion to God. That as we learn to, to trust in Him through the hard times of life... When we can trust in Him in those hardest times, most difficult times, then we'll be able to trust in Him in anything and in everything that comes our way. That this is our perfection. It's a right relationship to God expressed through our unwavering obedience and commitment to Him. When we know 
that God will see us through whatever it is that we will face in this life, that is when we are willing and and more able to say, kind of for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in, in sickness and in health, I'm sticking with you, God. Because we know that He will see us through. That is perfect and complete faith. It is faith that endures until the end. And that is what persevering through trials will produce in us. And that is why we should count it as a joy when we face trials of various kinds. Because they are an opportunity to grow closer with and in greater dependence upon our Lord. Which is what all of the instruction in the New Testament is about. That's what our lives are ultimately to be about. And in that way, trials ultimately help us to give us what it is that we truly want the most. And isn't that what we see illustrated in in our gospel passage today from Mark chapter 4? Flip there in your Bibles, if you will. Mark chapter 4. In it, the disciples found themselves in an incredibly significant trial. They were in a boat on the sea in the midst of a huge storm. A storm so big that waves were were crashing over the edge of the ship. Their boat was beginning to fill up with water. They they were in danger of sinking, literal danger of sinking. They They were literally afraid for their lives. Because of the severity of the trial, they were questioning the goodness of God in the midst of it. Teacher, don't you even care what is going on? Are you aware? Do you see this? Are you concerned? Don't you care? This was a terrifying experience. It's something that they never would have chosen to go through. They certainly weren't enjoying it. And yet, as they fixed their eyes on Jesus and sought His help in the midst of this trial, as they persevered through the trial and remained steadfast in the boat until the end of the trial, when everything was over, they were left with an awe, and a wonder and an amazement at Jesus and his ability to save that they never could have experienced had they not gone through the trial. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Persevering through that trial did something inside of them that they could not have obtained any other way. I mean, think about it. If they hadn't gone through that trial, if Jesus had merely told them that he can calm the storms in their lives, but they hadn't experienced him actually doing it, they may have believed him, but there's no way they could have experienced the awe and the wonder and the amazement of having witnessed him, experienced him doing it. They may have intellectually assented to the idea that Jesus could do it, but they would have never had the assurance of experiencing him experiencing him actually do it. That only comes through trials. And it only comes by persevering through the trials. If the disciples had bailed out of the boat partway through the storm, if they if they hadn't if they had given up hope and hadn't persevered, but who knows what might have happened to them in the stormy seas. They they might have survived or, or they might have drowned, but either way they would have missed hearing Jesus speak into the storm. And calm. 
Their faith wouldn't have grown if they tapped out early. The growth that occurs in our faith, which Peter tells us is more valuable than gold. If you had a huge hunk of gold, you'd want it to increase, wouldn't you? Peter tells us our faith is more valuable than gold. But the only way that our priceless faith grows in trials is by faithfully persevering through them. And so let me, church, ask you a question. Is this the way that you view the trials that you face in your life? Do you consider them a gift? Do you view them as an opportunity? Do you count it as all joy when you face trials of various kinds? Because you know that by persevering through them, God will be at work to grow your character and your trust in Him. This isn't easy. I'm not presuming that this is easy. Eventually, we all face trials in life that are incredibly difficult. It will happen to every one of us. Sometimes they last so long and they get so dark that you lose hope that you will ever be able to find light at the end of the tunnel. You wonder if you'll actually make it. Sometimes things get so bad that it feels as if God is asleep at the helm. You wonder, does God even care about what I'm going through? Sometimes the pain is so deep and the pressure is so unrelenting that you contemplate bailing out rather than persevering through. Either by giving up your faith in God and in His goodness, or by giving up your life. Anything in order to make the pain stop. As an aside, let me just say that I know within our small church of at least four people who have wrestled with that level of discouragement in the midst of trials that they face. And I'm sure that there are more that I don't know about. But let me just encourage you. If you ever find yourself in in that kind of place where life is so painful and trials are so all-consuming that you think it'd be better to take your life and end your pain rather than persevere through it, I want to encourage you to reach out to someone for help. In particular, I'd encourage you to reach out to our deacon, Teresa Kincaid, who's not here this week, but with her permission, I share with you that she has wrestled through that level of discouragement and the dark trials that she has faced in this life. But she persevered through it. And now she has an incredible testimony of the goodness and the faithfulness of God to bring joy and hope even out of the midst of trials in a way that she would have never experienced had she not been through them. So don't struggle alone. You know, often during a trial, it can be difficult to imagine how anything good could ever come out of the pain that you are experiencing. The call to have joy in the midst of what you are going through can seem impossible. Passages of Scripture like Romans 8.28 that promise that God works all things together for the good of those who love Him can feel insensitive and insulting. We often feel so hopeless that we don't want to hear it. We aren't able to believe it. But even though it may be difficult to hear or to accept or even more so to experience, that doesn't mean that it's not true. So let me give you an illustration that I found both helpful and hopeful in this regard over the years. I want you to imagine 
that your life is like the underside of an oriental carpet, right? Uh, The underside of an oriental carpet. Uh, If you've ever seen the underside of an oriental carpet, uh, they're kind of ugly. (laughs) Uh, The pattern is chaotic and confusing. The design looks unfinished. The colors don't always seem to pair together the way they should. There are little knots of yarn that don't really make sense. There, there's uh, sometimes loose ends of fabric that seem incomplete. The underside of an oriental carpet can feel uh, incredibly chaotic and confusing. And sometimes that's what our life can feel like. They feel messy, disorganized, mistake-ridden, unfinished. It's sometimes hard to make sense of what's going on in the design. It doesn't look like we would want it to look like. From the underside of an oriental carpet, that's all that you can see. And as we view our lives, sometimes that's all that we can see as well. But on the other side of that oriental rug, from heaven's perspective on our lives... It's a totally different story. Above us, there is a master craftsman who has an eye for beauty and works of art that is unparalleled. And he is constantly at work on the rug of our lives, weaving them together into a masterpiece. From the top, there is order and design and beauty and harmony to all that he is doing. Every knot that is tied underneath, every strand that is left hanging loose, there is a reason and a purpose to it all. It's contributing to the beauty of what he is creating. Nothing is wasted. And in the end, when he is finished, the carpet is always a masterpiece. The design is clear. The colors are vibrant. Everything works together in harmony to contribute to the beauty of the whole. It is perfect. Now, both of those descriptions, depictions, are describing the same carpet, just different perspectives on it. The top can't be made beautiful without all the work that goes on underneath. And this is often like our lives. Friends, God is at work in your life, using even the most difficult knots in the most painful cuts and the most confusing loose threads to weave together something that is beautiful, to create a masterpiece. Will you let him finish that work? I want to close this morning with three pieces of application along with some personal examples related to the application for you to consider as you take this message and as you go from here. The first is this, when you face trials of various kinds, ask the Lord to show you how he is at work in the midst of them. You know, we are never promised in the scriptures that life will go well, that things will be easy. What we are promised in the scripture is that God will use even the most difficult parts of our lives for our ultimate good. So ask him to give you eyes to see how he might use all that you are going through for your growth and for your good. Several years ago, I had a huge crisis in my life. 
uh, prior to that, for a long time, I, I had known that I was dealing with fear of man issues. I, I was crippled by fear of other people's opinion of me. I worried too much about what you thought of me. And I could be paralyzed by worrying about that. I knew it was an issue in my life. I had prayed about it for a long time, but it never seemed to get any better. And I experienced a season where I faced a lot of criticism and a lot of rejection. It was terrible. I would never choose to go through that again. I did not enjoy it. But during that time, God rooted the fear of man out of my heart. I learned that I could be criticized and that I could be rejected and that I would be okay. That God would still be with me. That it didn't really make any difference at all. Through that trial, God rooted the enslaving sin and fear out of my heart in a way that nothing else had been able to do, that nothing else could. And by persevering through to the end of that trial, which I almost didn't, by the way, but by persevering through that trial, God caused growth in me that I would not trade for anything in the world. Ask God to show you how he might be at work in you in the midst of the trials that you were experiencing. The second encouragement I have for you is this. Don't go through trials alone. Another time when I was going through a difficult time, I shared some of what I was experiencing with our parish council. And during a time of prayer, Cam Malpass gave thanks to God for the trial that we were experiencing. Because we knew, we believed the promise that God would use it for our good. It was a prayer that I knew was true but that I could not pray for myself. She held hope for me when I couldn't have hope for myself. She carried joy for me when I was struggling to carry joy for myself. That prayer left an indelible impression upon my soul. God used it. So allow others to carry hope and joy for you when you can't carry hope and joy for yourself. And then finally, persevere. Stay in the fight. Don't jump out of the boat and miss the amazing work that the Lord wants to do in and through the trials that you are facing. If you persevere through them, in the end you will have hope and one day you will stand in awe and wonder at how the Lord has carried you through. Don't give up hope and faith. Church, this is the the final piece of the the golden triangle of spiritual transformation. If you want to grow in your life of faith, if you want to be more than just a convert to Jesus, but you want to be a disciple of Jesus, trust in the Holy Spirit who is at work in your life. Depend upon Him for growth. Practice the disciplines that Jesus practiced. Follow Him in doing the things that he did. And grow in your ability to persevere with joy through the trials that you face in life. If you will do those things, your faith, which is more valuable than gold, will grow. And it will be to God's glory and to your good. Amen.